Welcome to another post-game reaction edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Amston, recording from beautiful Maricopa, Arizona. Did not make it out to Seattle for tonight's game. Uh, I, I'll use the excuse that I stayed home sick, kind of like Arizona State's offense. The truth is I never really planned to be out there. My wife's a musician. She had a gig, so this is the one game I'm not able to make it to uh, uh, th this season. Uh, but I did watch closely, and, uh, and, and we're definitely going to talk about it. I asked a few of you to send me some comments um, on Twitter as well, and those are pretty interesting. So let's go ahead and get into this 27-20 Arizona State loss to the University of Washington. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. So I spent my morning watching uh, every single one of Washington's games uh, leading up to this point. Had them all recorded, and uh, and I, I came out of that thinking that it, Arizona State probably wasn't in the place where they were going to have a chance to win this game. Given everything that I saw from Washington and rewatching those three games, given everything that I've seen up close with Arizona State. Um, I, I didn't necessarily see it as a winnable game for Arizona State. Uh, and then, you know, I, I gave a, a prediction of 27 to 18 because, you know, 18 is a completely realistic and feasible number. Turns out I was two points off. Uh, 27 to 20 was the final score. And if you were watching that game, you might say to yourself, well, you know, if it turned out the way that you thought it might, that seemed like a winnable game. Why would you paint it in, in such a fashion that it wasn't? Um, though the truth is, I, I don't necessarily feel like the, the things that... Um, Arizona State hasn't yet shown a propensity for are some of the things that probably could have been used um, to to take a bite out of Washington's very stout defense. And I, I didn't. I, I looked at what Arizona State had done up to this point. I looked at what they did last week in similar situations. And to me, Arizona State wasn't going to go downfield. Uh, to me, Arizona State wasn't going to call very many designed quarterback runs despite Manny Wilkins' athleticism to sort of spread the defense out and keep them honest. And the one thing I was absolutely sure that Arizona State wouldn't do a whole lot of uh, is find a way to get to the ball to the running back in the middle of the field, whether uh, you know through a block and release or, or, or a clear screen. Uh, and, and they actually did manage to try that a couple of times, once with disastrous results as Traylon Smith fumbled the ball away to Washington late in the game. So um, I, those were the things I felt like could probably hurt Washington, uh, as well as working the sidelines um, in the passing game to kind of get them to cheat over and then open yourself up for something in, in, in the middle of the field. I felt like Arizona State tried to do a little bit of that but never really showed a clear commitment to it. Um, th those were the things that I saw other teams have success on. Um, I got to be honest, what it really felt like Arizona State was trying to do in, in this situation, uh, which I think a lot of comments from Herm Edwards uh, backed up at the end of the game, was they were just trying to keep the game close so that they'd have a chance at the end. It's an interesting strategy. You know, you, Mr. You-play-to-win-the-game is out there playing a style of ball that you play to have a chance to win the game. And I think it's it's completely fair to go out and try to take what the defense gives you 
Uh, but a defense like Washington's not going to give you much. And I think that there's a clear line between having respect for somebody else's defensive schemes and talent uh, and fearing them. And I feel like Arizona State probably spent all week game planning um, out of more of a sense of fear than respect because, you know, you can respect somebody's ability and still point out what they haven't necessarily shown a propensity to do and try to attack those things. Um, Arizona State wanted to establish the run after not being able to establish the run. I think that that was their emphasis. Um, sometimes things that are a point of emphasis, you know, it, it ends up being a pendulum. You you want to you want to be able to do what you do regardless. You don't want it to be a reaction to what you weren't able to do in a previous week. And I feel like because Arizona State wasn't able to run the ball against San Diego State, they went out and and, and they gave the ball to uh, Eno Benjamin 26 times for just over 100 yards against Washington just to prove that they could, but is proving that you have the ability to run the ball doing what it takes to win the game. Uh, in the context of what we saw out of Arizona State tonight against Washington, not necessarily seeking out Nikhil uh, Harry as, as a primary target to run your offense through and trying to establish the run to just show that you can and um, kneeling on the ball uh, with over a minute left uh, before halftime, um, you know, and, and running a draw on a third and 17 uh, to give a possession back. I think that what Arizona State was doing was they were trusting uh, their defense, a very young but very talented defense, to go out there and make life hell for Washington. Then it ultimately just hoped that they make plays and, and get in good field position to chip away um, at whatever Washington was able to do. So they, they were not playing to win the game. They were playing to stay in the game. And they were playing to stay in the game because they spent all week thinking about how good Washington was and not necessarily putting forth the belief to the team that you're enough. You're enough to go out there and beat them toe-to-toe. Now, that could be a very honest and true assessment of the talent on Washington's roster versus the talent on Arizona State's roster and taking into account what Arizona State has and has not been able to do on the road in recent history. Absolutely, completely reasonable. But sometimes you want to be unreasonable, right? I mean, the, the ultimate the ultimate result of what, what happened today was a loss anyway. Do you walk away from that situation if you're Herm Edwards, if you're Rob Likens, having regrets about not taking any shots downfield? About not working the ball to, ne- to Nikhil Harry a little bit more? About not getting Manny Wilkins out on the run? Are you trying to preserve everybody for Pac-12 South play? Do you even feel like you had the possibility to win this game? Do you feel as a coaching staff, at least the ones who arrived after uh, and didn't stick around from last year's regime, the one that actually beat University of Washington, do you feel like you walked in and you saw uh, such a talent gap that you can't wait to make this roster over through recruiting so you're going to go out there and you're just going to do your best to hang around with Washington and call that respectable? You never know. I, I, I feel like running the offense in such a way, being as conservative as they were, opens you up for those type of questions. Were you trying to win the game? Or were you trying to have a chance to win the game? And I feel like those are two different things. Now, Arizona State, in taking what Washington had to offer, still had a chance to stop Washington at the end of the game. 
Now, there's, there's, there's nothing that says that Arizona State, who operated with no sense of urgency whatsoever in their final touchdown drive, would have been able to get the ball back with a minute and 30 seconds left and march down the field against Washington. But in Arizona State's mind, they would say, oh, well, we at least had a chance to try to open it up at the end and go for the tie. Well, if you at least had a chance to open it up at the end and go for the tie, didn't you at least have a chance to see what you could do if you attempted to open it up in the early portions of the game? Manny Wilkins is going to take a lot of heat on social media. He already is from some frustrated fans who feel like he doesn't have what it takes to lead this team, that he's not accurate enough, that he's not talented enough, especially when they see that Bryce Perkins, Blake Barnett, and... uh, (laughs) And uh, Brady White all won games today all, all and all played well enough to get a win. You know, I, pe- people are going to exist in a state of comparison. I don't put this on Manny Wilkins. Were there throws that he could have made that he did not? Yeah. Is it getting to, to, to the point where um, it's more than a habit? Yes. Your consistent actions are ultimately what you're known by. And so if you're not accurate when it counts, then that's the label you're going to carry. Nothing against Manny Wilkins. You can only go by the results. And he'll be the first guy to take uh, take it on his shoulders at the end of every loss. You know, my bad, my bad, my bad. Um, at what point is that something in which you say, oh, that's classy, let's give him grace... Uh, to take the step to say, no, I believe you. I believe that it's your bad. And is it fair? I don't know. I don't know. I think every fan's probably going through something different when it comes to the relationship with QB1. As I've pointed out before, it's hard to be a senior quarterback at Arizona State. You've stuck around long enough to see yourself become the villain. If you're Manny Wilkins, if you're Taylor Kelly, if you're Mike Bergevici, Rudy Carpenter, Sam Keller, you know, it, 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 there, there have not been a whole lot of happy endings for quarterbacks at Arizona State. Uh, you can get hurt like Andrew Walter did and leave them wanting more. Um, <laughs> or you can come in and, and take your one opportunity like uh, Danny Sullivan did or Stephen Threat did and, 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 and ultimately end up a, a, a forgettable player in Arizona State Sun Devil lore. So, you know, we're in a situation right now with Manny Wilkins where he's 2-2 two and two to start the year. They beat the snot out of UTSA. They had an impressive drive at the end of the game to beat Michigan State. But if you look at the last three games, this is now a team that is averaging one touchdown a half. They scored one time against Michigan State. The rest were field goals. Scored three times against San Diego State. One of those was in garbage time which ultimately turned the game into more than garbage time. And they scored twice today. You're averaging one touchdown a half for three games. Is that sustainable? Can you do that against UCLA, Colorado, Utah, USC? Is Arizona State the type of team that can win these knockdown dragouts every single week that are NFL scores? You got an NFL head coach, you're going to have NFL scores now? I ultimately think 
that you can only change your surroundings so much. Can Herm Edwards come in and turn the Pac-12 South into the Stanford-Washington Pac-12 North? Where there are 24-17 games like it's the SEC or like the games being played on a Sunday? I don't think so. I think it's a matter of time before Chip Kelly gets his guys in. Tries to put up 60 every week. I don't think Mike McIntyre will ever let off the brakes. They'll try to put up 40, 50, 60 in a game if they can. Sure, you have Utah. But if they had the athletes at Utah, they'd be trying to score 60 every week too. Is Arizona State running an NFL offense and trying to act like an NFL team in a game and in a league that isn't necessarily conducive to those sort of things? And are they even trying to do it with the right personnel? Arizona State doesn't have a pass-catching tight end, a hallmark of an NFL offense. Arizona State doesn't have a screen game, much of a draw game. Arizona State doesn't have a quarterback that, you know, it, it, you would even consider a game manager because a game manager makes the throw when you need them to. They have a good offensive line. They have a decent running game. They have a quarterback who does not turn the ball over. They have a dominant wide receiver that they don't seem to want to use. They have some of the elements of what you, you, you could build an, an NFL-style offense around, but they don't have them all. They don't have everything. So should they, and, and Herm Edwards talked a lot about this when he first came in, that it was important for him to establish an identity for Arizona State University. And Todd Graham was the same way. High octane, right? That's what he talked about when he came in. High octane. You know, he <laughs> Todd Graham came in and promised some things that they never ended up doing. He said, we, we get the ball across the 50, we're going to go for it. And what did Todd Graham do every time they got the ball across the 50 and ended up in a fourth down situation? Took a delay a game, had the quarterback punt the ball. So not every coach is going to come in and live up to the expectations that they set in the beginning, but it is important for them to be known in a certain way and have that type of branding behind them uh, and ultimately you know, try to establish some type of identity by which they're going to go out and recruit players. And they're already doing it. They they had a commitment this week, a six foot eight, two hundred and thirty five pound offensive lineman, uh, Elijah Bates, son of Solomon Bates, who will make you feel old, finished up at ASU in two thousand two, and already has a son committed to Arizona State. So I mean, they're out there getting these giant offensive linemen. They got a six foot four and a six foot five. Um, pair from in-state. They got a six foot six kid from Hawaii, six foot eight kid from Colorado. They're already trying to transform the roster according to the type of identity they want to have, which is big, strong, fast, right? But if Her is Herm Edwards really going to come in and say, we want to build an identity? Because that's what he said. He said, when people see Stanford, they know exactly what they're going to get. We want people to look at Arizona State and know exactly what they're going to get. Is Herm Edwards sacrificing Arizona State's strengths in order to build an identity and ultimately sacrifice some of the pieces they have on the board right now? If you're going to lose these games, if you're going to plan to lose these games or plan to not be in these games, which is 
what some of these post-game comments feel like when you're talking about, hey, let's just get it to the fourth quarter, let's just get it to the fourth quarter. Would you like to lose by seven in the fashion that you did today? Or would you like to lose by seven targeting your best player, who is at times completely uncoverable, targeting him 15 times so that he can come down with 11 catches and at least make sure that you show up on SportsCenter? To the people listening to this, it might not matter. A loss is a loss. But it is frustrating when you have Nikhil Harry, and it, and it, it seems like, to me, you're attempting to use him in the rhythm of the offense, which is a very NFL thing. There are not a lot of guys in the NFL who operate at the talent level where you can force them the ball. And the teams that do, uh, your Detroit Lions, Megatron, your Minnesota Vikings, Adrian Peterson situation, they didn't win a lot. You have to be able to spread the ball around, and your talented players will make plays in the course of the offense that you run. You think about what Tom Brady's been able to do with the Patriots. You think about what Russell Wilson was able to do with the Seattle Seahawks. And you think about what ultimately was the undoing of the Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots. Give Marshawn Lynch the ball, right? And you win a Super Bowl. So here we are in, in the situation with Arizona State. Do you operate your offense in its natural rhythm and not give one of, if not the most dominant wide receiver in all of college football, who will be gone in two months? Do you not try to force it with him? Do you not try to get him more active than he would typically be without you just running the course of your offense? Or do you give him the ball and see what happens? Just like you put him in back to grab a punt return at the end of the game and he almost took it to the house. Set you up for your final touchdown. What should you do? And it looks like, so far, Arizona State is choosing to not force the ball to Nikhil Harry, to not go out of their way to get him involved. And it's very possible that the last two weeks... It may have cost them some points and ultimately the game. So is it the right choice? I'll let you think about that for a second. When we come back, we'll break down what happened in the game, and then I will get to some of the comments you are sending me on social media. This is the Devil's Junkie Podcast, and I'm Ralph Amston. So not a bad start to the game. Arizona State takes a 7-0 lead after Chase Lucas recognizes that uh, Washington is running a, a, a trick play, drops back into coverage, grabs the interception, and Arizona State's able uh, to, to, get, to get the ball down in to Eno Benjamin uh, for a touchdown. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, Arizona State's up 7-0. They, you know, they, they might have a chance to... To win this game, they come out a little bit conservative defensively. Uh, one of the, first of all, one of the interesting things uh, to, to point out on that first drive, Nick Ralston, who had been playing linebacker in fall camp, they were talking about him possibly starting, ultimately gets beat out by some other guys. 
uh, and then and then uh, you know make some spot appearances in the last couple of games, uh, and then makes an appearance today at fullback, and he is actually the lead blocker for Eno Benjamin on his touchdown. So that was interesting. Um, and then Arizona State comes out, and you know they're they're a little bit conservative on defense. They're they're not blitzing as much as you might um, as you might expect the team to. Uh, this is, you know, th- this is something where I think they felt like their front three, their front four could get pressure on Jake Browning as Washington's offensive line was, you know, was was down a couple of bodies. Um, Washington's offensive line played great today. Uh, and, and Washington runs a nine-play 80-yard drive in just under four minutes. Uh, Browning hit Fuller on an 11-yard touchdown. And four minutes, or I'm sorry, seven minutes into the first quarter, it's 7-7. to seven. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, ah, we might have a, shoot, a shootout here. Uh, on Arizona State's second drive, interesting thing of note is it looks like they've kind of settled on Paul Lucas to, to uh, be their, their kick returner. He fielded a few kicks tonight. Honestly, he's been their best gunner on special teams, and uh, and you might as well test him out and see what he can do speed-wise on kick return. I thought he had a fantastic night. Uh, but then on Arizona State's second drive, you start to see the appearance of um, uh, a couple of guys who you haven't seen in a little bit. Traylon Smith comes in and gets a couple of touches on the offensive end. Um, he, he provided a nice quick burst for them out of the backfield tonight. Some of the things that you thought that you'd be getting um, from you, their their junior college transfer, uh, who who hasn't really appeared much, um, but you know he he gets out there um, and you know he's got quick feet. He he's uh, getting some yards and 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 looking like he's going to be part of the offense. Uh, you see Curtis Hodges uh, out out at wide receiver on that drive. Um, Manny Wilkins. Uh, has a pass to Kyle Williams that's broken up, and then he overthrows Kyle Williams on third and four. Brandon Weiss has to come out and kick a 48-yard field goal. You still have to be thinking to yourself, first quarter's not over yet. Arizona State's already scored 10 points. You know, this is an Arizona State team that struggled mightily in the second half of of last week's game against San Diego State. At least they're able to move the ball. At least they're able to score on two consecutive drives. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> And then Washington comes right back out. Uh, and they they march right down the field. Uh, the the coverage wasn't very very good on on this particular second drive or third drive for Washington because they threw an interception on their first drive. Um, but you get a 24 yard pass, which uh, Washington completed two 24 yard passes and a 30 yard pass on the day. Uh, outside of that, those those three passes made up about 40 percent of 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 Jake Browning's yardage for the entire game. So. I felt like Arizona State played the pass pretty well. They were often dropping about six or seven into coverage. Uh, but Browning, he, he he was pretty comfortable in the pocket. And when he'd roll out of the pocket, he'd do it with time instead of you know running for his life. And he was able to make some plays. Uh, Langston Frederick had pretty good coverage on Ty Brown uh, in, in the back of the end zone. But Brown... Uh, started falling before the ball even arrived and was still able to make the catch. It was just a fantastic play by Ty Jones. And uh, and, and Jake Browning gets his second touchdown pass of the quarter, and Washington all of a sudden is leading, you know, with, with a minute left in the quarter, 14-10. to 10. Um, And then from that point, both offenses kind of stall out. There, there wasn't a really uh, a lot going on in the second quarter, um, of note, uh, Manny Wilkins missed on a couple of more balls. Uh, there, you know, he he had Ryan Jenkins, and and, and I think that ball was dropped. Um, and then, you know, Arizona State defensively, 
Um, you know, they, they had a little bit of trouble controlling Miles Gaskin, but his speed never really came out uh, to bite Arizona State in any real significant way. Um, but they did score on their third consecutive drive. So turn the ball over on their first drive. Washington scores three drives in a row. They end up kicking a 26-yard field goal from their kicker, Peyton Henry. Um, and uh, that, that drive was 16 plays. Seven minutes and 13 seconds. And so, you know, Arizona State's offense doesn't even have an opportunity to really be on the field. That, that I think, took them a little bit out of their rhythm. Again, they scored on their first two drives, one coming off a turnover. Um, you know, Arizona State came out and they just fed Eno Benjamin over and over and over uh, until uh, Casey Tucker went down with an injury. Um and uh, and once Casey Tucker went down with an injury, um, you know it, it felt like Arizona State was rushing it a little bit. Um, they they uh, threw to Kyle Williams on a slip screen. Um, they they you know they threw another slant. Um, it, you know you end up in a third and seventeen situation, uh, and this is when uh, you know that hallmark Arizona State conservativeness uh, comes into play. Uh, Manny Wilkins hands the ball off to Eno Benjamin on third and 17. uh, And Washington calls a timeout and gets the ball back. So Arizona State has an opportunity to try to convert on third and 17. Instead, they play for field position. They play to punt. uh, And then Washington comes out and does nothing with it. And Arizona State gets the ball back um, on, on a punt with a minute left, and uh, they decide to run out the clock. So they gave up on two drives where they may have been able to produce something uh, at, at the end of the half uh, because they didn't want to mistake. Uh, play, uh, they didn't want to make any type of mistake, and, th- and that's about as conservative as you can possibly get. Not attempting to even run any type of offense that would present a threat or would produce any points um, isn't just cons- conservative; it's it's essentially stalling. They knew they'd be getting the ball after uh, you know after the half, so uh, you know they they give up on both of those drives. They surrender the ball um, on uh, in in both of those situations. They end up uh, going out for the, for the second half uh, and immediately trying to feed Eno Benjamin uh, two times in a row until they end up in the third. And 10, there's a dual penalty, and that gives Arizona State um, a first down. Manny Wilkins comes out, sails a pass uh, to, to Nikhil Harry. Uh, but then you start to see Traylon Smith get involved. He had a 12-yard run. He had a 7-yard reception. He had a 19-yard run. Um, you know, all of a sudden, Traylon Smith's got 45 yards on eight carries. And it looks like he's ultimately going to be your, you, you know, your your X factor in this offense, and that all came crashing to an end. But uh, this drive did end um, with with a Manny Wilkins tipped pass. Brandon Reese comes out, kicks a forty-one yard field goal, and then all of a sudden, you know, Arizona State is at uh, has a seventeen to thirteen deficit. They've scored on three of the four drives where they've actually attempted to move the ball. So even though Arizona State's running an incredibly conservative offense, they've only run four drives where they've actually attempted to do anything with the ball of the six times they've had it. Three of those times they've put points on the board. So, you know, and this is a week after people argue that they weren't conservative enough by going for it instead of taking the points 
uh, on a field goal. So it's interesting to see, you know, even though Herm Edwards says, you know, I take, I, I, I make that decision every single time. It's interesting to see how it's situationally different from week to week. One week you're too aggressive and it doesn't work out. The next week you're potentially too conservative. So uh, anyway, Washington comes out um, and uh, they they end up with a 29-yard field goal on their next drive. They're leading 20 to 13. And that's ultimately the score I think that, you know, after a couple of, of, of possessions traded back and forth, uh, that's ultimately what, what ends up being the score, I think, at the end of the third quarter, but not before Traylon Smith actually fumbles the ball away um, to Washington. And then you start to see receivers like Kate Otten, their tight end, who I think is somebody that uh, if Arizona State didn't go after, then he's something I, someone I definitely wrote about Arizona State needing to to pursue a couple of years ago because it's a very familiar name if you're on the devilsdigest.com uh, premium uh, huddle message board. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely written about Kate Otten in the past. He gets open on a couple of plays, um, and, and it looks like Washington's really starting to um, – to move the ball, but you know uh, Merlin Robertson gets in. He gets a sack. Uh, you know they 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 manage to not, I think, have any damage come out of Traylon Smith's fumble, uh, which is something that I've seen from a few people that that changed the complexion of the game. And just like last week when I disagreed that that uh, you know there was plenty more game to play and 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 Arizona State's choice to to not kick a field goal and that that mistake. And that 14-point swing didn't ultimately decide the outcome of the game. I'd have to also argue that in this case, Traylon Smith's lost fumble, the first lost fumble for Arizona State running backs in who knows how long, uh, probably Brad Denny. Follow B Denny 29 on Twitter. He'll let you know. But the first ASU uh, lost fumble in who knows how long. Um, I don't think that necessarily changed the complexion of the game, especially considering uh, ASU got the ball back. Um, you know, Washington didn't turn that turnover into points. When they ultimately did end up uh, get, getting some points was uh, early, um, early in the fourth quarter. They uh, they were mounting a, an eight play, sixty seven yard drive uh, that that ended in a touchdown when Kate Otten was in the back of the end zone and Jake Browning was scrambling to his right and and JJ Wilson um, didn't really know where to drift to uh, in the back of the end zone, but ultimately might not have been able to make the play anyway. It was just a beautiful throw, a beautiful catch. And that put Washington in a situation where they're up 27-13 to 13 against an Arizona State team that's been playing conservative offensively for the entire game. So you look at that and you say, hey, we're part way into the fourth quarter. Are we going to come out and actually have the ability to run that offense and still compete and still be able to score and still come, come back? Or are they going to have to completely open it up? And you know what? Arizona State came out, and they ran the ball. You know, they, they had a possession that didn't go their way, but then they came out, and then they ran the ball over and over and over and over again. Um, I mean, look look at the end of this drive uh, after after Manny Wilkins hits Nikhil Harry on, on a quick pass that picks up five yards. Um you know, they they uh, hand the ball off to Eno Benjamin for nine yards. Isaiah Floyd for two yards. Manny Wilkins runs it himself for a gain of six. Uh, Eno Benjamin uh, runs the ball for one yard. Eno Benjamin runs the ball again and gets stuffed. Manny Wilkins runs the ball for a one-yard touchdown. So, um, you know, the Arizona State's out there just taking their time, taking a bunch of time off the clock to run their offense as if the situation wasn't the actual situation. 
which put Arizona State in a rough uh, situation when they kick, kicked off to to ultimately have to stop University of Washington from doing anything with the football because they really took their time and, and, and were patient in trying to get in the end zone in their last drive. Um, and that doesn't end up working out because, you know, Arizona State can't stop Washington and uh, Chase Lucas adds to the uh, Arizona State's misery by throwing in a late hit that ultimately gives Washington enough of a first down to run the clock out completely. Arizona State had the option to go out there and try to open it up. They had an option to try and go out and be open the entire game. They didn't take it. They ran a bunch of time off the clock. Uh, they were they were very haphazard in how they even got to the line of scrimmage for their second to uh, for their last drive of the game that that, that uh, got them to 20 points. And then ultimately, when they have to give the ball back to Washington, there's not enough time, even with three timeouts, for them to do anything. You you're depending too much on a defense that has given you a, as much as they possibly could have all night long. This is a second week in a row when I do not believe that you can blame the defense in any way, shape, or form um, for what happened on the field for the ultimate result. You know, last week the defense was just on the field too much because the offense couldn't move the ball. This week the defense made a play uh, early in the game, which was a nice seven-point swing for for, for Arizona State. Uh, and then ultimately you, you can really put it on the scheme that Arizona State wasn't continuously blitzing. Um, toward the end of the game. Kalen Thomas uh, w- was having a fantastic game toward the end there when he was playing in the gaps, uh, but you didn't see a ton of that before. So that's the end result. That's me walking you through what happened. And I'm sure you watched the game. I'm sure you are completely aware of what went on on the field. Um, but I want to get into some of your, your, your points of concern. Mama Mavis, oh mama, they try my patience. It's gone. Who is left to save us? We mourn. I'm praying for my neighbors. They say the devil's at work and is calling favors. You say I'm dangerous. I speak for the nameless. I fly with the vultures. I be with them bangers. If change don't come, then the change won't come. If the bands make them dance, then the rain gon' come. Woo! Am I passing to the light? Looking to the and I'm just going to go in order, and some of these are not going to make any sense because I think I invited some weird comments. So um, we got one from Jedi ASU. Uh, what's in better shape at the moment, your kid or your toaster? Uh, during halftime of the game, my son dropped some Legos in the toaster. We were able to recover them. Uh, I, so the toaster is fine. The kid is fine. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not gonna yell uh, my kid too much for you know he he saw he saw an open space and uh, and he put some Legos in it. That's you know that's more than I can say um, for what Arizona State was able to do uh, offensively. You know there wasn't a whole lot of open space for them to work with and no places for them to put the ball. So maybe my son was just acting out of a of a, of a level of, of frustration. Who knows? Toaster's fine. Kid's fine. Uh, AAC's offense not so much. All right, we got. Uh, uh, Jenna N. Brooks on Twitter, why suddenly does, quote, you play to win the game, unquote, mean you take knees and run on third and 17? Isn't that playing not to lose the game? Well, I guess if you win, then you played to win, right? And if you lose, then it comes into question. And so Arizona State lost. And so I think that's absolutely a fair way to go about uh, questioning what Arizona State was trying to do uh, to do offensively. It's especially frustrating when 
in the course of Arizona State actually running their offense, they were incredibly conservative that you would say, you know, that that, that they would actually give two drives away um, by ultimately surrendering. Uh, but, you know, uh, Herm Edwards is a pro football coach come to college. He might be taking a, a, a pro approach. You, there are so many good athletes on the field when you're talking about pro football that you don't make dumb mistakes or decisions or or put yourself out there if you don't have to. Um, you trust your coaches to be able to run the offense and defense as is and the players to execute those things and ultimately to come out of the other end. In the pros, everybody's so good that you don't necessarily have a situation where you're like, oh, we have a receiver who's six foot four, 220, and will probably win 70% of 50-50 balls. Um, so let's go out and throw it up to him and just see what happens because we're going to end up punting anyway. Uh, that's not something that happens in the pros. It's something that should probably happen in the Pac-12 and that fans of a team that witnessed things like the Jail Mary should probably come to expect that you would actually take a chance. Um, and that's a learning curve issue for Herm Edwards. I think ultimately that's on that's on Herm Edwards, unless ultimately, you know, it had nothing to do with Herm and it was all Rob Likens, then, you know, then you have to wonder why, because <laughs> he's been around the program for long enough. Um, you know, why would you not consider taking a shot? Uh, but, you know, Herm came out and he took responsibility for that, you know, and, and ultimately said, you know, they, they were playing to keep the game close. They weren't going to surrender anything or do anything stupid. And, um, yeah, they didn't win, so it's probably not going to come off as they were playing to win the game. But had they won the game, you know, uh, then it, it it's all comes back into play. You know, you played to have a chance to win the game, and then you won the game. Uh, but they did not, so I think that's a fair question, Jenna. Um, Jordan Ellis, at Jordan A. Ellis uh, on Twitter, didn't see Wren much on the field. Um, I saw him rotating in and out. I think he had some finger issues this week or something like that, but I did see him rotating in and out with uh, George Lee, uh, and I feel like he did kind of cause some damage there on the defensive line um, at, in some spots. Uh, as, as I pointed out earlier, he definitely does most of his damage when the other team is in you know red zone opportunities or inside the 10-yard line. Washington was only really in that situation a couple of times, and I think they ended up with field goals in both of those situations. They did have the 111-yard touchdown pass, but that's just outside 10 yards. Uh, but I, I did see him out there, and I, I thought he played fairly decent. You know, he, he wasn't doing anything, um, you know, to, to write home about. They didn't get a ton of pressure. Um, but, you know, he, he does, I think, most of his damage in tight spaces, and there weren't a whole lot of those. Uh, at Double Devil, at DBLDVL on Twitter says, <clears throat> when Ray Anderson said that Manny shouldn't have four offensive coordinators in four years, was he saying that because he didn't want Likens in particular as the offensive coordinator? Um, I, get, I mean, if you looked at this through like a kaleidoscope, maybe you can make that connection. Um, but that was the argument for making the attempt to keep Billy Napier on staff. I don't think it had anything to do with Rob Likens whatsoever until Billy Napier ended up trying to leave. I think that Ray Anderson took some massive risks in hiring Herm Edwards, who did not have the level of connections and experience in the college game that you would need to be able to build a staff from scratch. 
So it was sort of a desperate situation to maintain some semblance of what was already here, not just for the players, but to turn around and then acclimate Herm Edwards to the environment. Those coaches weren't, it, it, that, that was not that important for Manny Wilkins' development to have continuity with the offensive coordinator. Manny Wilkins is to the point where he has to speak three different offensive languages anyway, having three different different offensive coordinators prior to Rob Likens being here, that it ultimately didn't matter that much. You should probably just go out and get the best guy for the job. Keeping Billy Napier and then ultimately keeping Rob Likens had nothing to do with Manny Wilkins because Manny Wilkins would be gone in a year. It had everything to do with trying to acclimate Herm Edwards to the environment that he was in. They wanted Billy Napier to be in that position. Billy Napier didn't want to be in that position. Rob Likens was more than willing to be in that position because he got a massive raise. He got to take over control of coaching a super talented team, something that he didn't really have the opportunity to do at Kansas in under their, all their scholarship restrictions with the huge talent gap that was that was going on there. So this is a real huge opportunity for Rob Likens to take up a job that he had had, that he had left another job to go do at, at University of Kansas. This is an opportunity for him to make a bunch more money. And, you know, he, he was not going to not take it. Uh, so, you know, it, it the decision with Billy Napier had nothing to do with Rob Likens. The decision with uh, Billy Napier had nothing to do with whether or not Billy Napier was the best man for the job either. It was just, you know, what can we do to make sure that Herm Edwards is made to feel a little more comfortable when he gets here and isn't burdened with having to build a staff because that's not going to be his strength objectively. So, I mean, you, you can't really look at it with, you know, both eyes squinted to say that uh, Ray Anderson was specifically thinking of Rob Likens when when he said what he said in that press conference because I guarantee you Rob Likens never even popped into Ray Anderson's mind until Billy Napier called him to let him know that he was headed to Louisiana. All right, I got a uh, three from Jefferson Jones, longtime listener to another podcast that I do, the, the C-Town Rivals podcast. Always appreciate uh, when, when Jefferson Jones weighs in at 3J485 on Twitter. Uh, not a big fan of the Denver Broncos logo, but I do respect that it's the old school one. Um, I got a few tweets from him on here. Let me read some of those. Uh, what's supposed to be the strength um, is now the weakness, and that's the offense. A good offensive coordinator finds a way to get the best players the ball, and Harry does not get enough touches. This needs to be fixed ASAP. Two things I miss about Graham. We never had stupid penalties in critical moments of the game, and we rarely turned the ball over, both of which in this game hurt us. It felt like we played to stay in the game and not play to win the game, and from Herm's comments, that's what we... Uh, that's what did, I can't even discern the end of this tweet. It doesn't make sense to me, but I get where you're going with that, Jefferson, that they didn't play to win the game, that they played to stay in the game. Um, I will say that, um, you know, that, yeah, the offense was supposed to be the strength of um, of the, this Arizona State team, but if you're the Arizona State coaching staff and you go in and say that our strength isn't strong enough to be better than the other team's strength, you know, if all you do is come in and praise the accolades and talent level that you're seeing on the other side of the field, then that then you're not imposing your will. Um, because ultimately that's the goal of any collegiate program is to get the type of guys that you want 
in that will buy in, that will run your system, that will execute, that will be intelligent, that won't go out and get in trouble, and that those guys that you hit on in recruiting will then turn around and go run your system so that you can impose your will. So that you're not necessarily having to make coaching adjustments because what you do is good enough. And Arizona State went into this game saying that what we have isn't good enough and what we do isn't good enough to beat this Washington team. So we're going to have to make some adjustments and we're going to have to play to stay in the game, not play to win the game. Um, So I don't necessarily think that that means that the offense is a weakness I think the defense has been a pleasant surprise, but Nikhil Harry's still on the offense. You know what he can do. And you absolutely objectively know, if you're listening to this podcast, that Arizona State's not using him to the best of his ability. I'd probably say the same for uh, Kyle Williams. I'd probably say the same for Manny Wilkins' ability to run the football. I mean, he's not Lamar Jackson, but he is quick. He's probably the most agile quarterback Arizona State's ever had. Run the ball with him. Didn't it used to drive Arizona State fans nuts when Mike Norvell wouldn't make an adjustment to an offense that that, that would play to Taylor Kelly's strengths and ability to keep the ball and turn around and run it? But he'd stick Mike Bercovici out there who was never going to keep the ball and run it, and then he'd just run the same offense? Well, that's that's what it looks like when you try to impose your will, but you don't have the personnel to do so. Um you know, Arizona State has the personnel probably to go out and do some of the things that Taylor Kelly used to do in that you can get Manny Wilkins out on some designed runs and that can change the complexion of what you're seeing defensively. But Manny Wilkins, for all of his strengths, doesn't play and isn't set up to play like a dual threat. There aren't a lot of planned runs. They don't get him out on the move. This is a fast, fast quarterback. Agile. Always leaping over guys. He can run. They don't use that. That's not part of this offense. So, I mean, and, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, that we, we get into some square peg round hole situations, um, but ultimately it all comes down to maybe Arizona State is trying to impose their will, which is to be a pro-style offense. You're not going to have the quarterback out and running too much in, in that situation, are you? Um, and you brought up the whole thing about you know missing Todd Graham because you never had stupid penalties in critical moments of the game and you rarely turn the ball over. Uh, maybe a little bit revisionist. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a difference obviously between earning a penalty flag and being penalized for your coaching decisions uh, through the other team passing the ball over your head because those things would happen. Um, you know, uh, Arizona State wasn't in as many critical moments toward the end there with Todd Graham that they have been in the last two weeks with Herm Edwards. But I think you're right to point out the fact that Arizona State is definitely making some mistakes. Late hits. Unsportsmanlike conducts. Cheap cut blocks while the defender's engaged. You know, there, there are certain things that Arizona State's doing right now to shoot themselves in the foot that, yeah, you definitely saw less of under Todd Graham. Would this Todd Graham team be able to play the type of defense that it's playing? Would it be able to give the coaches freedom to to, to test out some of these things? I don't know. But I, I do understand missing those things. I, I totally get it. 
uh, Divergent Native on Twitter. What's up with Manny Wilkins and his wild passes? He's overthrowing everybody and firing bullets when finesse is needed. Seems like he's more interested in showing arm strength than completing passes. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that he's interested in showing off his arm strength um, in trying to get some of these throws in. I think that the reason he puts zip on the passes the way that he does is because he doesn't necessarily see the field as well as he probably hopes that he would be able to. Because if he did, then there would be more a little bit more touch, a little bit more finesse to some of these. But he is always trying to knock somebody's fingers off their hand, right? So, um, and I think when he sees a guy break open or when he thinks he might, he tries to put absolutely all of his strength into those throws. Um, and when you have chemistry with a guy, when that timing's right, you don't necessarily need to do, do those things because your guy's going to go where the ball ends up. Um, and uh, and Manny Wilkins, had, you know, he, he had that chemistry with Jalen Harvey, but now Jalen Harvey's gone. Arizona State probably could have used some Jalen Harvey on offense in this game, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, he's had chemistry with certain guys and hasn't been able to develop it with others, which has been one of the knocks on him. Obviously, his accuracy and lack of touch on throws has has been another. Um, but I, I don't think that it, he, he goes out there and says, like, oh, everyone's going to love it when I throw the ball through this guy's chest. I think that ultimately for him, it's, you know, it's what he sees in the moment, and he tries to get the ball there as quickly as possible because he still has to rely on what he sees in the moment because not everybody's on the same page, if that makes sense. Uh, at the underscore Doug Brown on Twitter says, was Washington really that good at pass coverage, or were we trying too hard to establish the run game? Uh, I don't think it's an either-or. Washington is very good and very physical in pass coverage. Um... And yes, Arizona State wanted to uh, establish the run game, uh, but but Washington is definitely uh, definitely dictated what Arizona State was going to do um, several days before this game ever took place. So it doesn't matter how well the secondary was playing for Washington. Arizona State was always going to go out there and play like they were playing against gods. This could have been the worst secondary that Washington ever put on the field. And Arizona State wouldn't know because they didn't test it, you know? There's a sign on a fence and it says, Electric fence, do not touch. And it's in between where you are and where you want to be. Um, you know, it's got the sign. It says electric fence, so maybe you're not going to touch it. Maybe you're going to try to find another way around. Or, if you're dumb enough, maybe you touch it, and if it's not on, you go over it. You save yourself some time, right? So I think that uh, uh, Washington's defensive backs' reputations preceded them. Arizona State's coaching staff acted accordingly, uh, and I don't necessarily think it had to do with how well Washington's defensive backs were playing. I think the scheme was good. I think that receivers weren't open when Manny Wilkins was trying to, to, to make some uh, throws down the field, and that's a credit to them. But if you come out and you decide that you're going to be 2-1 to one on the run, then you don't actually know if Washington's secondary is going to be able to handle what you have out there, what Joe Healy is called and what I 
strongly believe to be one of the best receiving cores in the Pac-12, if not the country. You got to believe in your guys. You have to. Or else you're always going to be playing to somebody else's strength. You're always going to be playing somebody else's game. So um, I don't think that uh, I watch it. Maybe, maybe if, if Manny Wilkins goes out there and tries to force a couple of balls, he ends up with three interceptions on the day. We don't know because that's not what happened. So um, there were definitely some dropped passes. There was definitely accuracy issues. Um, but at the end of the day, Arizona State was still running the ball and running the clock out at the end of the game when they could have chosen to do otherwise. Uh, at Donovan underscore Wilson on Twitter, would it be crazy to see a change at offensive coordinator before the year is over? I know everyone is calling for his head, including me. Shouldn't coaches be held to the same standard as a player? If a starter is playing terrible, they get benched. Why not a coach? Uh, because this is probably a directive of the head coach. So listen to Herm Edwards after the game talk about what they were going out and what they were intending to do offensively. You can't tell me that Arizona State didn't go out and achieve it. How many times did you see Michael sleep Dalton tonight? Once or twice? They were moving the ball slowly. They were doing the job that they set out to do. This is what they game planned for. Eat up a little bit of yards here and there. They scored on four different drives. Turned the ball over on one. Surrendered two other possessions. If you get rid of the two that they surrendered, and you take the turnover out of it, because that's not Rob Lykins' fault, they had a pretty good success rate of at least putting points on the board today. But the fashion in which they chose to do it seemed a little bit antiquated and inappropriate and ultimately was probably responsible for putting them in the hole that it took them too long to dig out of at the end of the game. But I don't think that's an offensive coordinator issue. I think we need a little bit more data and to see how Arizona State ultimately game plans and plans to attack some of the rest of these teams before you get to the point of saying we should fire the offensive coordinator. Are things going well? No. Does Arizona State have a lot of talent on offense? Yes. Are they using that talent? No. Is it ridiculously frustrating every single time a coach comes out and says, oh, yeah, we should probably get this person more involved? Like, no, duh. The most annoying thing in the world to me this year was Kevin Sumlin after week one saying, oh, we should probably run the ball with Khalil Tate a little bit more. Do you freaking think, Kevin? Of course you should. What else are you going to do with it? It's like seeing a pie on the counter and saying, I guess I should eat this. What else were you going to do with it? That's what it's for. So, yeah, I don't want to hear Arizona State's coaches come out and say, oh, we need to find a way to get Nikhil Harry more involved. No, duh. That's the expert analysis that me, in my living room, 1,300 miles away could bring you. I don't want to hear an Arizona State coach say that we need to get him more involved. You just go do it. Just go do it. Or admit that that's not what's in the plans. Because ultimately the play on the field is going to tell the truth about what your priorities are as an offensive coordinator and as an offense in general. 
Uh, we got another one here from Leighton Smith at Leighton Lavelle on Twitter. What did Washington do or not do that made ASU not throw to Nikhil? Uh, they had a statistically good defense on paper and on film last year and this year. Um, that's it. That's it. Arizona State didn't move Nikhil around. Uh, they didn't put him in a position to touch the ball in any other way other than just being on the outside and stepping back into a, a, a pass or being near the sideline every every now and then other than put him on punt return. So they didn't move him around much. They didn't do much with him. They weren't super creative. This was ASU's choice. Uh, at James underscore Arama, what offense are we running when we need that touchdown in the fourth quarter and we get it, and why aren't we running that the whole time? Uh, I don't think there was a difference. When Arizona State scored that touchdown in the fourth quarter, they ran the ball on like six consecutive plays and let the clock tick down. If you're asking why they're not running that offense the whole game, they were. That's the whole point. There was no sense of urgency to it whatsoever. Uh, at fake news 42 says why is Likens not giving Harry more opportunities I don't buy it's the tough D of Washington he didn't get looks at SDSU either look ultimately Manny Wilkins makes some of these calls right like they pointed out that Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry weren't on the same play I found it very funny that the the, the people that were calling this game Brock Heward and the rest of the crew uh, were like oh Nikhil Harry can't be showing emotion and frustration the way that he's doing that you know Manny Wilkins is doing such a good job of getting everybody on the same page and Nikhil Harry can't be giving him you know can't be dragging the rest of the team down with his attitude well what do you think Manny Wilkins was doing last week when the offense wasn't in gear he was frustrated he was mad Herm Edwards came out and endorsed and said like yeah I absolutely expect my guys to be frustrated when they're not involved well now through your offensive scheme and through the choices of the quarterback you've pissed off your best player two weeks in a row are we going to give him the same grace that we give Manny Wilkins? Are we going to say, no, Nikhil Harry, best receiver in the Pac-12, maybe the country, you totally should only be targeted three times in the first half. It's up to you to not believe all of the hype that everyone else has thrown your way, including the coaching staff, and just not be part of this offense that is definitely struggling. It's absurd. So I, I don't put it on Likens. I really don't give Likens. I, I, I don't. Uh, there's a lot of people that are upset with Likens on social media right now, and I just don't necessarily think he has much to do with it. Arizona State moved the ball plenty in this game. Just not in a way that showed that they had situational awareness uh, or, or an awareness of the skill set of their own roster. Some of that has to be on the quarterback as well. Everything always falls on the coach, the offensive coordinator, and the, and the quarterback when, when the offense isn't run the, the, the way that you want it to. And Manny Wilkins has agency. He has choices out on that field that he can make. And he has to be able to throw the ball to Nikhil Harry when Nikhil Harry's wide open, which happened on one occasion. Nikhil Harry was open and Manny Wilkins looked his way and overthrew him. There were at least three other occasions where Manny Wilkins uh, didn't see a wide-open Nikhil Harry, which does not happen often, 
and went to other receivers. And then there was a situation where he did go to Nikhil and a flag got thrown. That's something that you should probably be testing more often. Nikhil is going to frustrate defensive backs and they're going to have to hold on to him. So you're going to get flags. Uh, last question at Joe Whitener, uh, JMW on Twitter. What kind of jelly do you like on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I think there's only two options. Uh, my kids would, would, would argue and say that raspberry is it, but I think it's uh, strawberry smuckers or grape smuckers and um, any other kind of jelly with peanut butter is, uh, is a, I guess, a waste of good preserves. Uh, you should just go with what works, which we should say uh, and direct to Manny Wilkins and Rob Likens and Herm Edwards to end this uh, this recap podcast. Go with what works, just like on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, shout out to Hoder Bino and Devil's Digest and the whole crew that was up there in Seattle. Miss you guys. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to be a back out on a sideline at a game with you. Uh, would love to see all of you guys that were feeding me questions on Twitter on the Devil's Digest premium message board so we can have these conversations about peanut butter and jelly and all sorts of other things uh, whenever you want to um, on devilsdigest.com. Make sure that you subscribe uh, to Devil's Digest. They pay all the bills. They are fantastic. Um, other than that, there's some uh, a couple things that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, the Arizona State defense, um, obviously missing some players. Um, no Slade, no Tyler Johnson. He didn't make the trip. Um, uh, Merlin Robertson had another really solid game. I think lead and tackles had a sack. Uh, but there were a few guys that we didn't see. Chase Lucas took away, you know, he, he had an interception, which was fantastic. Turned that into a touchdown. Um, I think he pretty much, he, he took away his whole side of the field for the fourth straight game, which just goes to show how good he really is. But then he turned around and make the stupid penalty at the end of the game. That's something that I know Chase Lucas knows that he needs to clean up. Can't make those type of mistakes, especially when it's, you're going to be in a situation where everything is as crucial as it, as it is at the end of the game. Uh, that late hit just didn't make any sense. And He's, he's definitely going to be holding himself accountable for that, I have no doubt. Uh, um, the, the special teams uh, looking good um, with, with Paul Lucas, uh, and, and, and Brandon Reese continues to do a great job putting the ball through the back of the end zone, making sure that uh, Arizona State can't get gashed on special teams, as well as putting the ball through the uprights. Um, as far as the rest of the positions, Casey Tucker got a little bit banged up, but he definitely made an impact in the running game. Moving him to guard might have been a very good idea. We'll see if he is available next week. Um, based on you know him getting a little bit banged up in this game, I'd expect him to be limited in practice. So those are some of the other news and notes. If you want to know anything else about what went on in this game, head over to devilsdigest.com. They've got videos from the uh, the, the press conference. Uh, they get, they've got all sorts of uh, stuff. Jordan K, I'm sure he just put out an amazing article on Frank Darby right before the game. I'm going to make sure that I retweet that so more people get a chance to read it and it doesn't get lost in the hubbub of everything that went on today. Uh, look for me to put out uh, a path to the end as far as recruiting uh, in the next couple of days as well as a a path through the Pac-12. I'll be writing about what Arizona State can do to turn around and win the Pac-12 South because as Herm Edwards said after the game, haven't played any Pac-12 South games yet. Pac-12 championship is still on the table. So they're out there talking championships. Um, you know, all is not lost. Arizona State falls to 2-2. Two and two. 
on the season. Uh, the train continues to roll, albeit slowly and, uh, and uh, not using its most important cars on the train quite yet. Uh, but the train continues to roll Arizona State 2-2 two and two, uh, moving into next week. This has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast uh, post-Washington Loss Reaction Show. I am your host, Ralph Amson. We'll catch you next time. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town